There we go. We are back again for another fantastic episode of Friday Night Counter Attack. And this one is probably the most special one I've been able to record this year, which is which is saying something because England have actually just won the European Championships in their home nation against literally everyone going against them. So I'm really looking forward to talking to someone who's been working. You've probably seen on TV a lot, to be fair, on BBC News, on the radio as well. It's been great to uh, speak to her over the summer as well. And hopefully when she's back fit and she's ready to go, we'll be playing football play at the summer as well, which would be good. So I'll be looking forward to introducing everyone to Ellie Wilson, Sheffield United footballer. Ellie, how are you doing today? Yeah, great. Thank you. Especially off the back of last night's win. Home Euros finally come home. So, yeah, really good move today. No, it's brilliant to hear. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the tournament and how uh, women's football can actually grow from here as well, which would be really good to hear from your thoughts as well. But take it all back to yesterday when you were in the ground, when you were watching the England team play against Germany. What were your thoughts when it went to 1 1? for Germany what were you thinking in that moment to be fair I still was confident that we were going to miss it I was sitting next to my mum and she was like all of a sudden everything went negative and everybody was all tense and the atmosphere was a bit like cut it with a knife I think like but I still had faith that we were going to going to produce and the likes of um, Leslie Russo coming on obviously Polly Kelly the, the players we've got in attack it's just frightening so I thought we looked we looked dangerous anyway, and then when they came onto the scene, I just thought, yeah, like we've still got plenty of chances left in this game, and I didn't think at that point that Germany were offering as many chances as what we were. So yeah, I was still pretty confident, but I must admit, I do not want to sit through that ever again. Like my heart was racing for the whole game, so <laughs> I don't know how you can sit on the touchline as a gaffer and and do that week in week out. It was yeah, it was, it was unreal, but I was confident they were going to do it. Nah, I think I think England's gaffer three was literally like the coolest woman in the stadium throughout that whole game, yeah. and even the celebrations after as well. She just turned around to the camera, and she's like, "Yeah, we won." Yeah, she just she, knew it was coming. Like, yeah. She just knew. She knew. She knew from experience it was going to go that way as well. But it was one exactly. of the most. I would say it's probably one of the top two, top three moments in English football's history in terms of the the impact, the moment that it has as well. Because a lot of people yeah. are still saying annoyingly. Uh, it's great, but it's not as good as the men's winning it or getting to the semi-final. But for me personally, I disagree because England actually have a hand on the trophy. They are actually bringing it uh -huh. home. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's a man, uh, men's team or a women's team. I personally think it's actually the greatest moment in English football history as well. And definitely in the top yeah. five of English sporting history of all time as well. What are your thoughts on that, Ellie? I'd, yeah, I'd be inclined to agree with you. I think the nature of, of that game... It, to be fair, it was more everything that that game stood for because it was a, it was so much more than just winning a trophy. And you know, England as a nation, we don't get our hands on trophies very often. So exactly. that you know alone, and that aside was was like huge just for us to be able to bring something back back to England. And obviously, we've had men's results that we've fallen at the final hurdle or not got to semi-finals. And in previous years, that's obviously been a bit of, a bit of an area of hurt for English fans because we've just come so close and never quite, quite managed to do it. But the fact that the women have brought that home, I think everybody has some sort of attachment and involvement in that in itself. And again, on top of that, the fact that it is the ladies' team and, and everything that comes with that in terms of the history of it and the women's game being banned and then and then being reintroduced again, it's like everything that game stood for there was a lot of, mo of emotion behind it and I think 
the impact it's going to have particularly on young girls and also English football in general is absolutely massive you've seen how how like it's brought the nation together which the Euros and football and World Cups and stuff generally does but the fact that it's the women's team that is having that impact on everybody is like unbelievable and something that we've all kind of dreamt of happening and finally happening so yeah it's, yeah. it's quite mind-blowing really. No exactly because I can take this back to um, 2017 when England's cricket team won the World Cup for the first time as well and then it was the same kind of situation where England's women had won a World Cup before the England's men had won the World Cup and then two years later, England, England's men won the World Cup in 2019. So it's the fact that it starts something new. And the fact that England's men's team in the cricket, they took advice and they took experience from the women's team that actually won in the final to actually get that experience and that exposure to high-pressure situations. So I can honestly mm-hmm. see Gareth Southgate, Harry Kane, taking some of um, the advice from some of the women's players, especially from the likes of Beth Mead. Leah Williams, yeah. be Williams as well. It'd be absolutely crazy not to take their advice going to Qatar this this November as well. Yeah, without doubt, I think um, like I say, England is England, and for me, there shouldn't be any separation there, whether it's men's teams, women's teams, um, whatever it is, whatever category of England team you're playing for, be it football, be it you know, death teams, all sorts of things. There's absolutely shouldn't be any separation there because we're all wearing the same badge, we're all standing for the same thing and we're all representing the same country. So regardless of what it is, I think it's important that we all come together. And I think now finally, women's football is being accepted as its own sport in itself and the comparison between men and women in terms of the game is, is not as, as obvious as what it was before. And people are going, yeah, do you know what? England have brought it home, not necessarily going... Oh, it's just the women's team, or you yeah. know, it doesn't count for anything, or discrediting it in any way. But because it's, it's the women's team, it's like, no, we just brought it home. So let's just celebrate that as a nation, and that's it. Which is which is great. Because I've I've noticed as well, the day after, obviously the final that we've just seen as well, people are still trying to make complaints and they're still trying to nitpick at certain things as well. That some of the players are celebrating in a different way, mm-hmm. um, the way that they're going about their that the way that they've won. And I think it's just BS. I think it's honestly some of the worst way... Like, your England fans, you should be celebrating, you should be appreciating them, and you should be lifting them up even more to what they actually have achieved. And people are still nitpicking in the media on the, on the morning news as well that we've seen as well. It's been awful for me to see, because I'm just kind of there, like... Imagine, like, if you were, like, watching this 10 years ago, before you were getting into professional football as you are now, and then you're mm-hmm. seeing people in mainstream media saying... Oh, this is great, but they they're not doing it in the, in a right way. They're not doing it in a certain way. Like it would make no sense to com- uh, complain mm-hmm. or criticize after they've just completed the impossible. They made the impossible yes. possible. But um, how would you kind of find it? Like I personally think it's been perfectly fine how they've been celebrating, how they've been appreciating their manager, whatever it's been. It's been fantastic. Yeah. To be honest, you just want just want to home Euros. Celebrate how you want. Exactly. <laughs> Literally do what you want. I couldn't care less. I saw the manager couldn't care less and. You know, they've done their job. They've inspired a nation. They've brought it home. They've won the home Euros. They've performed week in, week out for the duration of this tournament. And they've done the business on the pitch. That's what they're there for, their players. It's their job. And their job is also to inspire a nation and the next generation. They've absolutely done that above and beyond. They're probably, you know, well, they are breaking down barriers in terms of people's perception of the sport. And what these girls have just achieved... You know, not even just the England team, all the nations that have competed in this tournament, it's just raising awareness in a really positive way. And 
the fact they want to let their hair down and celebrate now, that's up to them. Do what you want, go where you want. And, exactly. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yes. You know, like you've worked hard and there's so much emotion and impact riding on, on that that final and that result that like I just don't think you can put it into words what it means to everybody and, and we've absolutely achieved it. So yeah, do what you want in terms of celebrating because it is a huge, huge thing to to celebrate and it should be. Exactly. Hundred percent. And speaking of celebration, I just wanted to know your thoughts on the team. Like who would you want to celebrate in terms of your top three players that you've enjoyed watching in this England side or even in the squad in general? Yeah, um first one I said it must have been around the quarterfinals was uh, Alessia Russo, yep. massive up and coming talent, still very young. Um, Ella Toon as well, they're both really excited players. I think Leah Williamson has stepped into her role. Captain, um, leader, legend. Centre right back and as captain unbelievably well. Obviously, a few years ago, yeah, that's it, 100% hit the nail on the head. And she's been captain at England Youth Age Groups and had so many things that she's had to deal with in terms of her development as a player. and She's just filled the boots of whatever role she's been asked, and she stepped up to the plate today. And to, yeah, yesterday, sorry, to see her lift that trophy again was like that was a big thing, you know. So I'd say yeah, definitely Leah, um, Russo, and I can't ignore Beth Mead, obviously top goal scorer, uh, player this one as well. So yeah, everyone's matched it. To be honest, you know, you all played their roles, and we don't win, you don't win a major tournament unless everybody on and off the pitch, be it playing or substitute or not playing at all, doesn't, doesn't do their jobs and. That's what I loved about it the most. You've got the strength and depth in that England squad as well, which is fantastic. So everyone was uh, claiming for Russo to be starting, but even when she came off the bench yesterday, scored the first goal, we were yeah. It was was pandemonium in the United Kingdom yesterday, just watching it. Not in Scotland, they didn't want us to win, obviously, but we were loving it in England as well, which is great. Yeah, Um, she's she's such an exciting talent and. People were asking a question, um, is Serena going to change up the team? And I straight away said, I don't think she will. And I don't think she should, you know, unless there's injuries and stuff. Because the impact that uh, Leslie has coming off the bench and Ella too, frightening the defensive. When you're 60, 70 minutes into a game and your legs are going a little bit and all of a sudden you've got this young, exciting, energetic talent coming off the bench. That's where she's had her most hit, like the biggest impact in, which she might not have had as much impact had she started the game when people are fresher. So... Yeah, he's done amazing. I feel like when I go to Man United next season, I need to get um, a Russo shirt instead of a, like a Ronaldo shirt or a Christian Eriksen shirt yeah. next season as well. <laughs> Represent yeah. European That's the thing, like, we laugh about it, but like, that's the way the sport's going. You know, to see young boys and, and men and lads just wearing England women's team players' shirts with their names on the back. Like, I was just looking at that and I was thinking, that's how far we've come. It's unbelievable. I'll go coaching in, in schools in Sheffield and, you know, the young young boys, 8, 9, 10, they know these household names, they know the likes of Ellen White and Lucy Bronze and they'll grow up and it'll be their normality. It'll be completely their norm that women play football and that's that's what we've been trying to achieve all these years and, yeah, to see that is, is wicked. So definitely go get yourself a Russo or two shirt when you're back definitely. at United. Nah, it needs to be done. I'll be wearing it on the podcast as well. It'll be good to see how people yeah, respond nice. to that as well. It'll be it'll be really good to <laughs> play as well, playing football with uh, with Russo on the back as well, because national hero right there as well, which is great. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to touch on the attendance yesterday at Wembley, being the top um, attendance for any European Championship game for men and for women. And I noticed um, back in around April or March, the New Camp had the highest tickets, uh, highest attendance for mm-hmm. a women's game ever, but they weren't, Pay tickets necessarily compared to Wembley, where 
and at Old Trafford at the beginning of the year as well, you had to pay, normally just pay for a ticket. What are your thoughts on that? Because you mentioned about how far women's football has come. But just to see the numbers and just to see the full attendance at Wembley, what does that uh, mean to you personally as a women footballer and as a woman coach as well um, in the game? Yeah, I think it just, it just signifies the extent that the game has grown. Like, to say there's interest there is one thing, but the only way you can prove that statement is for people to be, you know, physically attending the games and in their numbers, which they have been, and also tuning into the game on TV. Like, it's the most watched um, TV programme for the whole of this year across anything, sport, not sport, because was the final last night. And when you combine those numbers with people who are attending Wembley, it, it's just... It's unbelievable to see that that is actually happening now. Because when people say, you always get comments online of oh, people aren't interested, nobody cares. It's just it's just women's football. And it's like, well, actually, they do care. And the proof is there because you're here. <laughs> They're there at Wembley right now and you can't play that away. So, yeah, it, it's really nice to see that. And hopefully the game will just continue growing. And off the back of it as well, I'd like, like to see more tickets being you know sold in the domestic leagues. And even... You've got to generate the interest. I think if like you've got schools and stuff, and you give out free tickets, can you let them see their first game, their first women's game? It's about like getting them interested in it first, and then everything else will come after that. So the fact that in Canada some of the tickets were free, it's not a bad thing. Like absolutely, you know, just let people see the product first, and then they can they make their thing, their judgment for themselves. And hopefully, it's a positive one, which I think it would be. Definitely. Because what I loved about this Euros um, this summer as well um, was literally the fact that you were going to not always the biggest cities and not always the biggest stadiums as well. So you were going to Rotherham, Milton Keynes, you were going to Sheffield to actually play the games. You weren't going to Old Trafford all the time. You were sometimes going to the Lee and Wigan Stadium as well, which was and the Manchester City smaller ground as well, which is great because it meant that people had easier accessibility to the game as well. It wasn't somewhere where if someone um, from the north couldn't make it to Leeds, they can make it to Sheffield. It's just exactly the same way of going about it, but in different areas, yeah. bringing them, um, bringing business locally, um, bringing more business locally as well. Like, you know, when the Dutch fans took over Sheffield, it's crazy mm -hmm. to see how that happened as well. Just like you said, for a successful tournament. Yeah, that successful, was amazing. That. Yeah, exactly. The whole of the country just came together and they embraced the, the, the fans coming from across Europe. And I adored that person. It was great to see him. How many games did you get to go yeah. to um, this summer? Because you mentioned you went to the finals. Did you go to quite a few at Sheffield as well? Yeah, so there was um, there was three games, I think, group games at uh, Bramwell Lane. Yep. So I went to all three of those. And then the semi-final, obviously, was at Bramwell Lane, England. Um, and then the Wembley game. So, yeah, I've been to a fair few. Didn't get to any of the Rotherham games, but, you know, Bramwell Lane's just on my doorstep. And yeah. It, it, I just went there. I was, I was spending a lot of time in the fan zones as well prior to the games. So that was quite nice to see how people were building the atmosphere and then taking it into the stadium. But yeah, I, I got to as many of them. Yeah, I absolutely love the fan zone because I think that it doesn't really work in the UK as much because we're always under rain and cloud and stuff like that. But having a fan zone outside in the summer tournament, a summer event like that, it gives a positive vibes, a good, a good feeling for fans, for anyone to just come along as well. And, that's what I really enjoyed about it the most because it meant that people going in to have a good time. They were going in not to, like you would at um, mm. men's tournaments, going to have fights with opposition country fans and all of that nonsense that you see, but actually enjoying mm. who you're sitting next to, uh, chatting with people in the crowd, learning about different players from different countries. And 
that's what I love the most about the fan zones as well. That it was actually informing a lot of the fans who the players are playing today, who you have to watch yeah. out for. This player plays for Real Madrid, this player plays for Leon, whoever it is, and is really good to see um, going yeah, through as well. Definitely. The game's quite like young in that respect, and getting it out there is one thing, but now you're going to see that these names become household names, hopefully. And then that translates into each nation's domestic league. So, you know, it's they've won in France or Bundesliga or La Liga, wherever it is, these players are playing. And like you say, it's just educating and getting used to these are the players, here's where they play, here's what they're about. And the fact that both nations can do that in a game, like collectively, without there being any sort of tension or fights or whatever, it's, it's like really nice and refreshing. And that probably reflects why we've ended up with a bit more of a family vibe and it's a bit more of a, it's a very different atmosphere, right? Definitely. And even leaving Wembley for yourself yesterday as well, I'd imagine it probably was just like another friendly atmosphere, just leaving quite safe to get back onto the tube wherever you're going back to as well. Quite easy yeah. for you, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I remember speaking to somebody earlier in the week saying, like, you know, would you take a young family to, the example, but Arsenal, Spurs? Mm. Probably not if it was a men's game, but yeah. then you might be more inclined to take them to the women's game. And that's, you know, that's take that reflection how you like but that's just how it is and it's quite nice it's refreshing that both sets of fans can sit together have a drink together can yeah we can just mill about together without there being any sort of aggression or negative vibes which is cool definitely is cool and I just wanted to ask you um, just to kind of rewind back to when you were a kid starting getting involved in football as well who were your kind of role models growing up in the England team um, when you were growing up because it is a complete contrast to what we saw um, yesterday as well because everyone like you said is household names but even mm -hmm. back in like 2009 2010 not all the games were always on TV you probably just have like the the national teams on TV as well to watch but um, mm -hmm. who did you kind of look up to when you were um, coming through as a young player for yourself so I remember looking up to Rachel Yankee yep. that was one player I remember it was went to watch her play for I think it was Arsenal and then in an England game yep. so yeah I loved watching her um and then this is a bit sort of further on and, and Frank Kirby hadn't really been involved in the England setup as such, but I used to train with her at Reading. Oh, brilliant. Um, so when she moved to Chelsea, yeah, when she got signed for Chelsea, that was like a big deal. It was a massive signing at the time anyway. So I could kind of see the pathway that she was following. And when she got her, her sort of foot in the door with England as well, that was another player that sort of really inspired me. I was a little bit older at that point, so I could relate to it a bit more, but... Yeah, Rachel Yankee was probably the main player that sort of stands out to me. Um, obviously Alex Scott, but I wasn't, I didn't have access to to see these players, and I didn't really know that it was a thing. And when I started playing football, I honestly couldn't even tell you why I started playing. <laughs> I think I kept getting, I kept getting rejected from the academy, so I just kept thinking, no, you're not going to tell me no. I'm going to keep trying and get in. That was like, that was like my motivation was because somebody had told me that I couldn't do it. <laughs> But it wasn't because I could see positive role models and see a route into women's football at all. Because I just, yeah, I didn't even know that there was other teams I could go and trial for. Every time I got rejected from Reading Academy, I didn't think, oh, let me go trial at Spurs or Oxford or Chelsea. I just didn't even know it was a thing. So, yeah, I was probably the only players that I'd say at that time. No, that's brilliant to me. Because it's just the fact that it was such a different feel to women's football back in, even like I said, 2009, 2010. Uh, yeah. 2012 even just 10 years ago it's great to see how it like you said it's a young game but it has evolved quickly there are a lot of people in this in this sport trying to evolve it quickly and naturally as possible as well which is really good to see um, going forward as well but Ellie I just wanted to ask you just before we wrap up yeah. um, our conversation 
what can you expect? Not really hopeful, but what can you expect for this upcoming season of the Women's Super League and yourself in the Women's Championship as well? What can you expect from um, the fans? What can you expect from the media? What can you expect from um, the teams even as well that they can help to capitalise on what England have just done yesterday by winning the European Championship? Yeah, I think it's absolutely essential that from a media perspective, marketing, that sort of thing, that we capitalise on it as much as we can. There's a huge buzz around the sport and it'd be silly to, you know, to miss any opportunities in, in continuing that buzz. So I think it's really important that we market the games for the Barclays WSL and the Barclays Women's Championship really well. Make sure that it has as much exposure as it can across media platforms um, you know, in terms of visibility, viewing opportunities and you know people just knowing that these games are happening and having access to them is is essential um and just bigging it up as much as we can like that's how we're going to get more more attention how we're going to get more fans through the door i do expect that there will be a lot more interest and attendances will be higher across both divisions i'd, I'd imagine that'd be the case and and that's great to see so i think it's important that we do that in any way that we can and if that means giving out the odd free ticket and so be it because the interest is there and, and we want to keep it there and want to keep building on it. Yeah, that's brilliant to hear as well. And I, I like the bit when you said we need a lot more media presence. So again, if you ever want to come back onto our podcast and yeah. you, want to, you want to join us over the season, talk about your season, talk about the women's football, absolutely, I'd be down for it. Uh, it'll be Definitely. great to... It's, it's the best way of learning about it as well, by actually listening, by actually seeing what you're actually watching as well. And realistically yes. speaking, I'd be hoping a lot more games women's games they're going to be at the men's stadiums as well so more Arsenal games at the Emirates more Chelsea games at Stamford Bridge more at Old Trafford mm -hmm. even because that's how you're going to get people to attend because they know where the stadiums are they want to go to a, a day trip to Old Trafford Bramble Lane uh, Anfield even as well why not that be the case that that's everyone would love to go and see it it'd be really fantastic to see it grow even further better than ever this upcoming season as well that's well, it. Like we're playing, um, so obviously with Sheffield United, we've been playing down at Chesterfield for the last couple of seasons, which is great. And it's a really nice stadium, very nice ground. But when you when you're trying to market to, you know, I don't know, a Sheffield United versus Crystal Palace or or whoever it is, like, oh, where's the game? Yeah, it's in Chesterfield, it's 30 minutes out of the way. It's like that's just decreasing the chances or likelihood of somebody going, yeah, okay, I'll go. Whereas when it's on your doorstep and it's at Bramall Lane and it's a reduced ticket compared to what you're paying for the men. If you're, a, if you're a United fan, you want to go to United's home ground, you want to go to Bramall Lane. And yeah. like I said earlier, we're all wearing the same badge, so that's their home, it's our home, and it's, it's our home. And the fact that it's now on the doorstep, talking about, you know, gaining tendencies and coverage, checking out women were at Bramall Lane, so it's just a perfect fit. And the little things like that do make a difference, like you say, in terms of fans turning up. And I'm hopeful that that's going to help our attendances as well this year, just being right in the city centre. Exactly. That's what I'd love to see literally going forward as well, because it just means that people who are from these towns where they have uh, teams in the championship or in the Super League as well, they can actually just go locally and attend. They can just walk to the ground or take the tube or take public transport to go, not having to rely on parents all the time to take them to games. And it should That's be it, yeah. such a sociable feeling for them to actually go out and enjoy their weekends and actually enjoy their Sundays because women's tickets are a lot more accessible. They're a lot more affordable for young people to go and actually enjoy more than... Yeah, like a member or a season ticket holder at Man United, Raston Villa, wherever you're going to go to. It's crazy. To yeah, see, for sure. That's what I'd really love to see. Um, but yeah, just before we wrap up this conversation, Ellie, I just wanted to say thank you very much for your time today. 
And for everyone listening, where can they find more from you um, this upcoming season? And what can we expect from you this season uh, for Sheffield United? Yeah, so across sort of media platforms, I've seen them on Instagram, um, Twitter, it's NEJ um, underscore Wilson underscore, I think it's something like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're all across social media platforms. Um, obviously give Sheffield United women the follow and you'll keep tabs on the whole team. And yeah, looking forward to it. Brilliant. No, I'm looking forward to seeing you this season as well. It's going to be great. And like I said before, um, we're hoping to bring more to not just our other podcasts that we do, The Beautiful Mind Game, where we talk about women's football, but to bring more to just football in general for, from the women's perspective as well. I'm looking forward to seeing how it can grow, looking forward to seeing how um, the athletes grow as well and how the fan base grows across the country. And I'm all here for it. It's going to be great. But everyone, thank you very much for listening. Ellie, thank you very much for your time. Hopefully I'll see you later this summer for foot golf and it'll be good fun um, for that as well. Um, but yeah, England have won the European Championships. We're gassed as hell. Ellie's probably more gassed than I am because she was in the stadium yesterday. But um, we're enjoying this and we're going to be here all season long <laughs> talking about women's football, which is great. But everyone, thank you very much. Take care and goodbye.